Come on in, boys. The water is fine. USA! 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 <laughs> I'm so glad that you're finally on board with that. So apparently Chuck is back on studio. Yes, welcome to the Flick Lab. Zach Lab. Welcome, Zach. <laughs> yeah, that, that, Thank un- you. Unofficial USA fan podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, USA is number one. It is undeniable. I don't know if you've heard, but uh, yesterday... The yeah. United States had its 198th mass shooting of 2022. Well, hey, land of the free, baby. That's exactly what we so eruditely discussed, Zach, on Twitter. Yes, USA. If, if you're looking for security, mm. if you're looking for, for personal freedom, uh, sorry, but the US, come on. Unbeatable on this sector. I mean, it's it's undeniable how free we are. You are totally free to go into a grocery store and get shot up by a psychopath. To be truthful, Freedom. I have... <clears throat> uh, yeah. To be truthful, I, I don't have this bone in my body that wants to always keep uh, bashing on the United States, but since you're doing it, I'm ready to join the party. Oh, I am always game to bash on my home country. And <laughs> I guess because it is my home country, I feel very free to do that. But don't and you? And I can quickly identify all the problems. Yeah, but don't you? Does everybody of us have that kind of a feeling that when a foreigner starts to talk about their own home country, I mean, your home country, for example, do you have that little small piece of you that kind of feels uncomfortable for some reason? You, you just can't explain it, but it's maybe there. I don't if their complaint is valid. So if, for example, if they said, God, America, what's wrong with your like healthcare system? I'd be like, I know, right? It's totally fucked up. <laughs> but I guess if they said something like, why are all you Americans so stupid? Well, I guess even then I'd be like, yeah, I know. I, I, I agree. Our education system is pretty fucked up. Yeah, I guess it's really hard for me to take offense to any sort of criticism. <laughs> so welcome to the film podcast, everybody. <laughs> yeah, okay, so today is a little bit of a special day. It's episode 150, and thank you, Zach. Jesus for, Christ. Yeah, what, 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 in the butt. Yeah, that that's the way how they all grow up, Yeah. come adults, even, even this podcast. Yeah. 150 episodes say... in, and you still can't score chicks by, <laughs> by stating that you are a film podcaster. I just have to say... Oh, kiitos paljon, Zach. <laughs> kiitos, kiitos. Ihanaa. So lovely. I hope that was halfway decent. <laughs> I could understand you. You know, communication is the key, right? That's most important. <laughs> That's what my professor used to say in college. You know what? Communication took place. It's good enough. Yeah. So episode 150, so we have no real topics for you today but i think we're gonna talk a little bit about movies a little bit about travels a little bit about our break time we had a little bit of a break here for over one month henrik tell me what did you do with all this abundant time <laughs> i was working 
that's that's precisely where I spent my my time off from the podcast, working on different projects and productions. I even at the moment I have like three video productions uh, going on, and perhaps there will be a fourth one. I'm I'm almost literally drowning in bloody camera equipment reservations. Henrik. Henrik, Henrik, please tell me that all those three to four projects are music videos. Please, please, please. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you've already by, by now mastered the art of music videos. <laughs> Thank God. Thank God, no. Even though I have to say that after editing my first music video, I'm like... Like when I, when I started with the first one, my, my initial thoughts were exactly how hard can this be? Must be like easiest gig ever. And then when I was doing the edits, I was like, oh my god, please kill my kill me. This is an absolute nightmare. And now that that's passed behind me, I still remember that editing music videos is absolute nightmare, and I do not recommend it to anyone. But would there be another like request? Can you edit music video acts? I, I guess I would still be ready for the challenge. Like the, it's it's kind of like in the army. You you go into a to a one training session, which is absolutely hellish, and you will remember and you will curse the training session long after it's been passed. But if the same challenge is presented you to you for the second time, you gotta have the the no, knowledge that I already did this once. I can conquer the same obstacle the second time. But luckily, yeah, luckily, yeah, no music videos currently. Even though, on the on the different note, now my productions are in the state that I don't have like I I don't have a composer for the videos, or at least two of them. Which means that I either a I have to pay the licensing fees, or or plan B I actually have to compose some shitty synth music myself. And I've never composed anything, so you know it's it's a brave new waters. All right, so so well, you know, if the music video thing doesn't work out, you can always go into I don't know making amateur porn. Mm-hmm. Yep, I actually there's a big demand for it. I, I actually just know like it's it's something like three weeks ago when I noticed that one of my previous professors, a part-time professor, no, now these days has has an OnlyFans. No, <laughs> and and he's, he's a professional porn producer or sex worker. And I'm <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. My my career highlights are looking pretty bright. Also, so you know, sign me the fuck up. <laughs> he's out there doing the Lord's work. Good for him. <laughs> it's, uh, in, in his in his defense, oh, he does have MS disease. Oh, what is? Oh. Okay, so it's it's also it's it's a form of activism for him. He's an MS positive, like sexual worker, hmm. and that that's like like the whole reason what or at least at least at least the official reason behind his OnlyFans page. Wow, you know I will say this: there is a really great short series on Netflix called Special, and it's about a uh, a gay guy who has. Uh, CP, cerebral palsy, mm. and he's never had sex before. And so one of the things that he does, a friend sets him up with a sex worker. And I think it's the only time I have ever seen a sex worker engage in 
gay sex with someone who is disabled and they have a whole conversation about it and it was truly uh enlightening and astonishing and i think we need more visibility in terms of people who are disabled and their sexuality so yeah. tip of the hat to your professor i've seen similar similar uh, interviews in finland about such case that there there was some assistant that would help don't know if it was cp or uh, something but uh yeah helped him or her to to get to somebody who would who would help uh him or her out i i think it actually was the the assistant him or herself so yeah very cool well this for me this is the last episode most likely that's going to be recorded from spain it's going to be okay yeah you are moving once again adios you heard it here first henrik uh, Zach, I'm well. I have told you some things, but yeah, I was in the Philippines. Things happened in the Philippines. It just might be that I'm moving to the Philippines. Okay, well, you know, I'm happy for it. <laughs> you still gonna continue on, on your current job and just do it remotely, or are you also resigning and looking for a new opportunities? This is an absolute clusterfuck of crossroads right now. I have no idea where this is going to land, but... Uh, so, well, I have gone through a set of interviews for a job in the Philippines involving, once again, IT. And that the work would be in Manila. There would not be remote work, at least not in any major capacity. So I would have to move there for sure. And legal-wise, probably, anyway. And then the... The, the other thing that I could do on the side is teaching English and Finnish again for the Burmese people, people who are interested in moving to Finland. They first need English to learn Finnish in Finland. And then also this, this job might involve um, helping these Burmese to kind of, kind of settle, uh, get their apartments in Finland and get the bank accounts uh, set up, that kind of... Uh, basic uh, assistance so we'll see uh, in how big of a capacity i will be able to do that i mean there may or may not be enough work to do in in that position there might be some days that i need to be in finland if i'm gonna be there at the airport to to help the guys out uh, to you know receive them at the airport and things like that. But that might be like a very small, small percentage of the work and mostly remote, which would allow me to be in the Philippines remotely with a um, uh, tourist visa or just uh, 30 days without a visa as we Finns can do it this way. And then maybe I could com combine it with this uh, Philippines IT job. We'll see. At least one of them will play a role in the near future. And Henrik, we could, we could do an episode or whatever in Finland shortly because I'm going to be flying there on June the 3rd. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The boys are getting back together. <laughs> Yups. It's, it's always nice to see you face to face. Well. Get the opportunity, man. Yeah. Well, if you enjoy my face, I'm, I'm happy for you. <laughs> no, but yeah, it's uh, all getting aside would be great to I mean we have had this toying around with some kind of a movie movie ideas as well we could do some short movie just you know five minutes some script I think we have some capacity to to come up with something that we could do yeah I'm always open for ideas 
Yeah, perfect. Uh, of course, if your schedule allows. Yeah, yeah. I actually also have to check my schedule. Yeah. Ever-evolving ever clusterfuck of things. Yeah. I have a clusterfuck of feelings about leaving Spain. On the one hand, you know, great weather, of everything works pretty great. I mean, when I came from Finland to here, I was thinking that, oh my God, everything is so chaotic and things are not working very optimally. But, uh, well, in all fairness, if you look at Southeast Asia, at least the Philippines, it's an extremely bureaucratic country, in my opinion, from my experience, especially during this COVID period still, they have a lot of restrictions going on. and uh, Well, they just they just elected themselves a new president who's the son of a dictator. So we'll see that. what changes are on the horizon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good luck, Sorry, buddy. I had to, you know, as the in-house political guy, I just had to throw that in there. <laughs> I know. And, and you know what, Zach? No comment because because foreigners are not allowed. To, foreigners who live in the Philippines are not allowed to have political opinions about their politics. So I, I have no opinion on this one. <laughs> wow! <laughs> Land of the free. Such a nice place. <laughs> well, and I've told you I'm going to be in Cambodia next year uh, for three weeks. So I don't know what it, the trip is like from the Philippines to Cambodia, but that might be the closest that we'll ever be to each other. And I'm, I'm sure at some point I will be traveling to Europe, but are you still going to be in Europe? Or are you going to come back from the Philippines at some point? Right. Who knows? Uh, who, who knows? One way of doing things could be to just stick around there for a couple of years and um, gather some money, put some cash together and then you know, because I I found my boyfriend there, then then I think after that we could have enough capital to move move to Europe in one way or another. But I don't I don't think I don't think the Philippines would be the my my final <laughs> resting place or the, my final uh, place to put me. But uh, yeah. I, I never seem to know what could be the best place to live or where to stay forever. And who wants to stay anywhere forever? Henrik, where is home? I would say home is wherever there is someone who loves you. Home is where the heart is. Like the people closest to you, that's where home is. Yeah. That is the sweetest definition I've ever heard, Henrik. Oh my god. Home is where the people who love you are. That is beautiful. That might be the sweetest thing you have ever said in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I know that can be difficult to decide, you know, where's the best place to sort of put some roots down. Obviously, the United States is the best. I mean, I know that we're all thinking it. Right. I'm just going to put it out there. I it is the greatest country in the world. Number one. I know. You know, when I listen to a lot of Chinese people for some reason, people from uh, Hong Kong, um, Southeast Asia for sure, uh, from Brazil, you know, there's still a lot of uh, US fanboys. So I can totally understand mm. that. Mm. Land of mm. the free. Mm-hmm. You know, wh- why is that? I think. Uh... Why is that? Why, why do you think, Zach, there is this, this kind of a level of fanaticism towards the u.s and i really want to go to the u.s that's the best place in the world where is that coming from it's yeah i i think it's well within the united states 
this idea of American exceptionalism mm. and nationalism is sort of taught to you from a young age. Uh, I mean, we do a real, I, I growing up, I did not realize how weird this was because you're just raised in it. And you don't, you don't know the difference, mm. but we would be required to say the pledge of allegiance to the flag every morning in school. Mm. And I never realized how weird that was until I got older and talked to people from other places and realized it's actually very sort of Nazi Germany. It's very nationalistic to like force children to say the Pledge of Allegiance. Um, but you're taught that America is the greatest country in the world. America is the greatest country in the world. Everyone wants to be like us. Everyone's jealous of us. We have everything they don't have. We have literally, you're taught that we're the only free country in the world. And when someone says like, Hey, I was thinking, God, do I want to get like the rice or the potatoes as my side dish? People will say like, Hey, get both. It's a free country. And that's, that, that just becomes part of the common language. And you are brainwashed into thinking, into thinking, wow, America really is a free country, the only free country, and everyone else is just, I don't know, they sleep shackled to a radiator or something and have no vo no voice at all, and, you know, it's just not true. I mean, what, 207 sovereign countries out there, like 180 of them have freedom. Mm -hmm. Freedom, also freedom has some nuances, don't you think? Well, yeah, yeah, because freedom of what? Freedom to do what? I mean, even in a... in I mean, no no country has pure freedom where there are no restrictions. Every right must have some restriction. You know, we have freedom of speech here, but that doesn't mean that you can say anything. You can't yell fire in a crowded theater, for example, is the classic the classic example given. Mm -hmm. um, you can't incite violence. Um, but yeah, I, and I think outside the United States, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know if it's that we have this incredible conspicuous consumption culture here and it, maybe because of television and film because hollywood is here maybe there's this this perception because of our the media that we produce that everything is just rainbows and butterflies and gold bars um and so that makes it look very attractive and people want to come here then i don't i don't know I don't know. I guess what what's your perception of America, especially when you were when you were little and you were more formidable. What what was your perception of America? Uh, I guess it was more positive than it is now. I don't think I had so much understanding as a teenager of of all the things that you're you're also struggling with there. But I I just saw that there's a lot of money going on in the places uh, people are. People are tall, and that's what I remember. Watching tall. NHL, National Hockey League, was my thing as mm. a 17-year-old. That's funny. I never would have thought Americans had a reputation for being tall. Yeah, I feel that. Like I... Dutch people, you guys, and uh, Brits, I consider them really tall, and then I feel kind of a... Yeah, I'm myself, I'm 170 meters, so I have a bit of a inferiority complex around these people. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because when I think of what country has tall people, I think of like the Nordic countries. I think of like Sweden. Oh, yeah. I think they're all like tall, blonde, blue-eyed, you know, aliens. <laughs> yeah. Eric, do you have any views from prior to, to growing up about the U.S.? Well, my whole view of, of U.S. stemmed only from, well, occasional glimpses of, of the news. But I would say 95% of 
of of how I per, I I perceived the U.S. as a kid came from action movies. So mm. <laughs> obviously, I had extremely rosy perspective of, or, or view of of America. I always saw it as a country that's well, like like with Curry, there was all constantly money flowing everywhere. Everybody has has like a billions and has a, lives in a mansion and has six cars and destruction of properties is no thing because everybody can always buy new shit. Everybody is corrupt constantly. There is a always co- continuous problem with with criminality. But it's okay because, you know, gunshot wound is no thing and there's always explosions to fix every every single social issue that you may might have. And naturally, as, as I grew older, I kind of came to, to realize that none of that was true, including like gunshot wounds and explosions. Yeah, sadly, Bruce Willis and Arnold Schwarzenegger are not just running around blowing shit up all the time. Yep. That would be cool, though. And and that literally was like my my like understanding of America when I was a really little like it it's just it's just a country where Schwarzenegger is running around nothing hurts him and he always fixes everything by exploding something yeah and of course Clint Eastwood goes around with his gun and shoots people on the first shot yep and it's okay because the persons he shoot are hippies and gays yes. And I didn't realize that at all when I was a kid. I was like, yeah, blast away the criminals. Then I got Mm -hmm. a little bit older and re-watched the films. I was like, oh, hey, there was some coloring in these bad guys. You know, it's funny. Speaking of a film that you watched when you were younger and then watching it again when you're older and realizing there's there's so much more there. Uh, Mm. Right now in in the United States, there's a, a... a lot of conversations happening about the film Dirty Dancing. I don't know if either of you have seen that film. No. It is a film from the 80s with Patrick Swayze. Uh, and I think if you had asked any person who sort of grew up in that time and watched that movie as a young kid, they would be like, oh, yeah, it's about this girl and she learns how to do dirty dancing. Like, you know, like sexy dancing. Mm. And it's a really sweet rom-com movie. But now we go back and watch it and there's a whole subplot because the movie – was filmed in the eighties, but it takes place in the sixties, but there's this whole subplot of one of the girl dancers who gets pregnant and she has to have an abortion, but it takes place in the 1960s before abortion was legal in the United States. And she, they have to like hire some crack doctor who comes in and uses like a dirty knife and you know, anyway, the girl gets into trouble and she, and she, she ends up being okay. But also in, current political news in the United States, you know, abortion is about to be overturned by our Supreme Court, and it is going to now be up to states to determine whether or not it's going to be legal or illegal, and most states will make it illegal. And uh, yeah, it's it's one of those, uh, we're now re-examining that film based on what you thought it was as a child, and now we're realizing we're going right back to that same kind of lifestyle. Yeah, going on a tangent from that point, I just last night I, I watched Schwarzenegger's Eraser, an action film from Ooh. 1996, if I remember correctly. Mm. But any, anyways, uh, yeah, uh, it, it, it's a okay action film in no way Schwarzenegger's best and no way the one of the my highlight action films of any era, but okay, goofy fun. And it was a film that I had 
previously seen when I was like I I was like I I guess a blossoming teenager back in the back when I I originally saw it for the first time. Now rewatching it, and I kind of had this this once again. I I had re had epiphany that I have had previously that it's. It, in one way, it's really fascinating to watch old American pop entertainment these days. It's really heartbreaking in one sense because your childhood was uh, and childhood view view of America was like built solely on action entertainment, and you had this really great, really rosy perception of America. And these days, you watch those films again, and and it's it's kind of heartbreaking because you notice that none of these in any way correlates with what America is. But at the same time, it's extremely fascinating to look at them because that the films them, uh, themselves, they have, and I don't believe the movies understand this, but they have extremely negative things to say about America and like the, the whole cultural space of America itself. Like what, watching, watching old Schwarzenegger films, and watching America, it's kind of a, like a like a dumb kid that just constantly wants to put his face into the blender. You you look at look at look at Schwarzenegger movies where the, the plot constantly is that the governmental agencies like the Marshall Agency or CIA or the FBI they are corrupt. The government is lying to you. All all the the senators are corrupted and they are making backhanded deals. The, the the Italian mob is is the good guys, and they kind of use like like Eraser has has a plot point. They the Schwarzenegger has to get into this dock where the the corrupt governmental officials are selling illegal arms to to the Russian mobsters to do, and this way they they are knowingly actually funding weapons into the international terrorism, which is a wild wild notion for the bad guys, but. Schwarzenegger has to get into the dock. He can't get in there before the, before the last arms shipment would be loaded into a ship. So he contacts his old, like like his previous case that he has helped, who is a Italian mobster who has a cousin uh, whose cousin is running the docks, and ask ask help as they ask help from from the cousin, and the cousin uses uses union labor as a as a like a like a green card, or as an excuse to cause havoc at the docks. It's it's like really weird, really wild. You you have anti-union mentality, pro-Italian mobsters, anti-government, government wanting to help international terrorism. All of these things going in the in the kind of like like the borderlines of the plot of the movie. I'm just kind of looking at it like thinking like, what the fuck, America. Uh, this conversation reminds me of the movie, the musical comedy drama Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. I wonder if you have seen it. It's quite famous. No. Nope. Yeah. So the, very old. Very old. It's from 1954 and based in nine, 1850 Oregon. There's this uh, uh, seven seven guys who get attracted to seven girls obviously and this one guy suggests to get married immediately and it's oh it's very romantic and there's so much of this macho and womanizing and other. it's a highly inappropriate movie in today's world so inappropriate 
I'm uh, finding it kind of fascinating how much appreciation the film is still gathering. Yeah, so these guys get stuck with the ladies in the same shack for the entire winter because there's an avalanche, of course. And so you can imagine how it's going to be like the, the, the basic male-female roles of the yesteryears are there fairly established. Good times. Yeah. Traditional gender roles from the 50s. That could make for a great April Fool's episode. I don't know if people would really like that to be the subject. I mean, it can only go wrong. <laughs> I don't know. We already kind of did that with the worst person of the world. Kind of. <laughs> the, 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 the first first ha- half of the episode is just like, like misogynistic nonsense. <laughs> oh, God. That joke, perhaps there, it could have been planned out better. I, for example, could have actually remembered that, oh, hey, yeah, April Fool's Day is once again coming up. Yeah, but it started like first me trying to fool you, but it really didn't work. <laughs> I was able to keep you confused for maybe five minutes, and then you're like, what is going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then we started to do it together, the whole joke. All right, so speaking of weird, Ukraine war is happening (laughs) in this film podcast. (laughs) What a transition! (laughs) (laughs) Well, we 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 have the the in in Finland we have have the term asinsilta, which is which means like like a forced transition in from one topic to the next. Literally, what is it like? Uh, yeah, donkey's bridge. Donkey's bridge. <laughs> yeah, and that was such a good donkey's bridge that that bloody donkey must have drowned. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right. <Nice. clears throat> is there anything intelligent that you want to share about? Well, I don't know about intelligent, but uh, the whole NATO and the conflict and Finland joining, maybe Sweden as well, looks pretty likely at this point. Moi. I'm I'm yeah. really hesitant to tackle this one in a, in a film podcast, but seeing how we have Zach in in the studio, yeah, <laughs> and Zach is doing a political podcast. I I think you know, if if Zach wants to have a NATO discussion, I can have a NATO discussion. <laughs> we can we can we can view actually... that fire, even we though can... it has absolutely nothing to do with the flick lab. We can just wing it a NATO discussion. We're that good. <laughs> I was actually thinking of uh, maybe doing a segment on our podcast, having one or both of you on to talk about uh, the <laughs> regular Finns perspective on Finland joining. It will definitely be a regular Finns perspective. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's, it's one so who isn't even, even living in Finland. It's one drunken Laos. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. So if you want, what? we can table that to have a a, a, a more in-depth political conversation on a political podcast. We, we can, we can also give, give you the material right here, right now. <laughs> <laughs> without, without any, 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 like, like, yeah, without any preparations whatsoever. We are yeah. that good. Well, I tell you what, here's, here's a donkey's breach for you. I saw the movie Lamb recently, the Icelandic Swedish film lamb from a24 have either of you seen i've it? been avoiding that one that was one of the movies that was gonna be that was on the oscar shortlist right it was yes yeah. yeah i haven't seen it yet uh why have you been avoiding it henrik out of morbid curiosity 
actually no no coherent reason. It's simply due to what I heard about like the synopsis of the film. Okay, it's it's this. What I heard was that it's an overlong folks are artistic take on God only knows about what and the film itself is just like a woman trying to have a lamb as as her child and I was like yeah not gonna touch that one with a 10 feet pole <laughs> I think it's it is definitely art uh, an artistic stretch and I think it is very open to interpretation the film has very little dialogue. I mean, at some point, I think we were like 30 minutes in, and my husband and I were like, I think they've said 30 words in the first 30 minutes. Um, it's a lot of visual storytelling, and a, there's not a lot of backstory given. You're sort of uh, only given like a little piece here and a little piece there, and you're supposed to just sort of figure it out. And it is very different, but Numi Rapaz is spectacular in this film. All right. Yeah, Numi is, is kind of one of the reasons why I might still someday end up checking it out. Like I, I know I, I am usually I'm I'm a fan of A twenty four and their their lineup because they they do this, this modest budgeted high pro art cinema, which every so often is is really nice to see, and there are interesting ideas that they their films kind of play off. But somehow, Bloody Lamb, like, simply, simply like, hearing the premise kind of just started to, to ring my alarm bell, uh, the alarm bells inside my head. And I started to go, like, I can, I can see exactly the, oh, I'm so artsy direction that this film is going to take. I would say try to not think of the premise and just sort of go into it a little cold and try to just sort of take it in as it's being given to you. It, it it's quite a, it's quite a journey. It's quite a journey. Okay. All right. And I also and speaking of A twenty four, I also saw uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once with Michelle Yeoh. Either of you see that one? No, yeah. that's flown completely under my radar. Yeah. It's uh very soon uh, to be A twenty four's most successful film box office wise. Um, it's it opened in very limited release and just through word of mouth really it it has gained uh, a lot more attention uh, if you know anything about like box office returns uh this past week the box office uh difference from the week before was only a four percent drop so it's basically maintaining every weekend the same amount of viewership uh it is spectacular it is unlike anything i have ever seen it is one of the f it's one of those few films that you see i think over your lifetime where you go oh this is different this is we're we're in we're in a different place now um i think of films like uh eternal sunshine of the spotless mind i think of uh well avatar not so much from a narrative standpoint but just from a filmmaking standpoint you knew like we're on a different page the matrix Things where you know, like, okay, this is this is going to be a chapter marker in sort of the the history of filmmaking. Uh, this is this is one of those. It is truly, truly stunning. All right. Lately, I've been also watching some movies. We basically watched 
one movie per day in, in the Philippines. Always something for the evening. I remember watching the, I don't know if it's Harrison Ford's latest exactly anymore, but Harrison Ford in The Call of Nature. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would say that it was better than I expected it to be. And I kind of agree with many of the critics that say, non-professional anyway, that say that, that yeah, in the first five minutes when you see that fully animated CGI dog, you're thinking, oh my God, what? Uh, this is not going to work out. But after a while, you kind of get used to it. But it's still the how the dog behaves is, of course, utterly supernatural. And the, and the expressions of the dog, those are too human and too reactive and too intelligent dog. Uh, to the point where there was this other movie that was just made recently with... What the hell is that guy's name? An, another movie with uh, Willem Dafoe and they were using real sledge dogs in in that film I forget the title and that was managed to I, I haven't seen it myself but I, yeah from what I what I've seen it's great great work and then the parts of course where they couldn't use live animals they were using CGI like you know hopping through windows and things like that but uh, that movie kind of did seem to prove that it's possible to do a non-CGI film with live animals and control them to the extent that you can make a movie out of it with nice results. But uh, yeah, I think this Call of the Wild is actually the name of the movie. Was It didn't quite work. And it, I found that maybe it was following too closely the novel to the point where in the film you don't find an inherent narrative in the film. There's just stuff really happening, and the bond bond grows closer between Harrison Ford's character and the dog. And bad shit happens. And it's just a journey. If you're looking for something brainless, that's definitely out there. Okay. Good good holiday movie. I really love that you watched a movie a night. Mm. That's pretty great. Fortunately, I was able to take enough distance from the flick lab. I was just telling Henrik that when I came back to Spain and I was supposed to kind of restart the podcast and uh, get all the dust off the shelves. I had no idea what the hell am I supposed to do. Like I have a completely edited episode of Burning and I still don't know how the hell does this happen again. What am I supposed to do? Where Where's all the files? What is this witchcraft sorcery? But I was able to finally <laughs> push it out. Yeah, so it was a successful holiday. Forgot everything. Nice. I'm glad it was. All right. Do you have <laughs> a smartphone? Yes. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah. How do you feel about your phone? I think Henrik is not a fan. No, I kind of hate it, to be absolutely honest. I use it because yeah. I have to. And of course, in today's society, it's A, it's mandatory. And second, it's largely helpful and useful to have a smartphone. But I, I still hate it, and I basically hate this tech-oriented, like, modern day that we currently are living in. Even though it opens up a lot of possibilities, and you can do a hell of a lot, you can achieve a hell of a lot these days, thanks to smartphones and all, all of the other tech. But I still, like, I'm really hesitant to actually 
approve and give any kind of appraisal to to modern tech. Yeah, this is just, of course, from my perspective and what I experienced. But I think there's some kind of a change going on here where people are more and more leaving social media, of course. <laughs> God knows I've tried to get the hell out of that. But there's always some stupid excuse to go back. And it's true. There's a lot of people that, you know, it's easy to connect with them. And then they say, oh, you're not on Instagram anymore. Was someone actually following me on Instagram? God help you. What? Why? But yeah, I deleted my Instagram again. <sighs> These tools are so distracting. So distracting. And you know how we have discussed this before, but the fact that everything is spread out, it really messes with your brain. You have WhatsApp, you have Signal, you have Messenger, you have session you you have email you have telegram even sometimes because in some countries they can't use the other ones <laughs> and uh, then you have uh, uh, kakao talk in uh, korea and there's a few others of course so try to keep up with that i'm yeah i also don't like how everything is so digitally focused in fact i'm a big fit well i, I deleted all of my, I used to have all the all the social medias, and I deleted them all a few years ago. Uh, it was the it was right after Trump had gotten elected, and because I was I was it, I was being bombarded every day, every moment with bullshit that I didn't want to see anymore, and the fights that you get into with strangers on Facebook and the comment section. It just you know it was just too much, so I deleted it all, and now I only have Twitter. Um, but I found that it wasn't even a successful way to stay in touch with people that I liked. So when I deleted my Facebook, which was my sort of main social media, I got in touch with the people that I loved and cared about and said, hey, I'm deleting my Facebook in two weeks. Uh, I need your phone number and I need your email address. And I started keeping up with people that way instead and have found it to be much more meaningful that way mm. um i also was tired of getting uh getting my news from facebook from pages that didn't make any sense and were unsourced and you know there were more political pages as opposed to news pages so i just i got a subscription to the new york times and to the boston globe and i started getting my news from you know newspapers and listening to public radio uh so that i could be informed that way and so now you're affected by leftist propaganda from the New York Times. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you're in a other kind you're, of bubble. You're, you're getting the fake of the fake news. <laughs> Trump would be very upset with me. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I feel like I, in fact, I wish that I could, if I didn't live in an apartment building, I would love to subscribe to the paper and get an actual paper yes. delivered to me in the morning mm -hmm. and sit at my breakfast table and read the paper with a cup of coffee like our dads did. That's actually what I would love to do. And so perhaps one day if, I don't know, we win the lottery and we can afford housing in Boston, then we can buy a house and I will have a subscription to the paper delivered to my doorstep every morning. And this is something that I've also been thinking for a while but somehow, is it then the, the fact that, well, you want information from multiple sources and you are terrified of the monthly, monthly cost that would go to the paper? Because actually newspapers are horribly expensive, at least the 
Helsinki Sanomat Daily in Finland. So yeah, if... they can any anything like print everything post related is horribly expensive in Finland. Yeah, because what... we were smart and we run our like when it came to posting, when it came to print media, the whole infrastructure basically the ground. What do you think about the in- environmental impacts of print? Because I'm always kind of unsure about that. I mean, of course, I want print in most cases where I can uh, just concentrate on the paper and not having any distractions from uh, any notifications and such. Just have that begin it and end it and just consume it. But then there's also that the problems that... <laughs> If you can consider it a problem, whatever is a problem, it, it depends also. If you, if you have a smartphone, well, yeah, you have kind of all the information at your fingertips, but getting access to a newspaper is always not an easy thing. You have to maybe go for a walk and there's a little stand over there where you can get the New York Times and, oh, I forgot my cash. You don't accept credit card. God damn it. And then you find the ATM and buy the newspaper and walk back and that kind of thing. But yeah, the environmental impacts. Are you having that in your in the back of your minds? Like, because it's a horrible waste of paper. <laughs> yeah, but at least the paper can be recycled, um, and people usually do recycle uh, the paper. At least here in the city, uh, people do recycle their newspapers as opposed to things like all of your digital devices, which contain yeah. all these like metals and shit that people just like throw away and they're not disposed of properly. Right, I think that that that's that might be a huge problem in, uh, especially some developing countries where there's literally no recycling, and even if there's a recycling box, it probably ends in the same bin in the end. Yeah, and even if you don't really think about the recycling part of of the tech industry, like obviously with with print, there always is going to be it uses paper and it uses ink. Well, portion of, of of the discussion, but at the same time, like I I I did more consider and I did more think about the, the whole waste of paper and waste of ink and the environmental effect of those things when the digital revolution was kind of a starting up. Like back then, I thought that I think that it was a relevant point of view to to start prefer the digital over paper. But these days, what you have, you have a computer, you have two or three three laptops, you have, what, two tablets, you have your your smartphone, which you get the, the newer model every, every year, every two years. You basically, you have like five million things in your apartment that are constantly sucking up electricity. So I kind of think that when it comes to, oh my god, they are killing trees for paper. It's it's kind of like, yeah, yeah, they are, Admi- yeah, admitted as, as much. But at the same time, like, your paper-free household is eating up, like, hundreds of kilowatts of energy. And you are kind of more or less, like, not constantly, but... But in, with intervals of, of one to two years, you are just upgrading your tech and buying the, the, the newer smartphone or, or the next Apple, whatever the fucking laptop comes out, etc., etc. So in, in that way, you know, the, the kind of the, the 
environmental aspect of the digital revolution has kind of lost lost its charm. It has even lost its point at this point. Yeah, switching internet off for yourself, I think is never going to work. I think we all always are in the shackles of using the internet for something. And, These and, days, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we are we are too digitalized. We can't like we can't dial back internet anymore. And uh, the one of the uh, viewpoints that is fair that the, of course when you go to the internet you are uh, allowed to access a variety of sources. So that's maybe one of the only fears that I have if I would go 100% back to newspapers is that okay, well I now I'm yeah, well I'm now just reading the New York Times or Helsinki Sanomat or The Guardian or what have you. You try to have variety in there, but it's easily getting more expensive. And chances are that you're relying on larger institutions for, for your news. And sometimes you also want the more independent sources. And unfortunately, many of those are somewhere in the ass end of the internet. But then again, who has time to read all these sources? Like we thought... And, and full attention so maybe this kind of a long form reading and uh, it's it's maybe better to just stick to a few sources you're not going to spend a hell of a lot of energy on multiple sources anyway you have got to have variety but there's going to be a limit somewhere yeah and people even though we always pride ourselves about how we want to check out all the different perspectives and we want to read all these sources. Sure. We have want to have all the sides of the discussion. We always say that, but in my opinion, in reality, we really don't want that. We actually want to have the easiest, the most one-sided take that you can have. Like I would say that a large part of our social and political discussion these days it's not even you reading one source. It's not even you reading the New York Times. It's you checking out the latest meme picture that has a headline in it and a commentary, air quotation marks, with the headline. And it's posted into whatever is the meme circle that you are part of. Right. You mean, yeah, basically memes. Yeah, yeah. Basically memes. And like literally memes not not just basically but just like our news consumption i would say if we look at like the humanity and the per, and and divide it into percentages i would say that most of humanity these days when it comes to like where they get their news so what, what where they get their news like what are the news that they react to and what are the news that they build their worldview the political uh, political opinions on it's it's literally memes that's the currency most of us don't even read like the articles completely we just check out the headlines and we check out the memes there was a really good quote about something related to that that i also posted to zach but i i forgot but basically the the, the essence of that was that we we love to we love to simplify extremely complicated subjects into like this kind of sim simple sentences, such as in memes, and then you know you you draw the wrong conclusions. Well, and we love to do it because for a lot of people, it's the only way they're going to take in the information, because nuance is difficult. 
depth is difficult, but superficiality is simple. And yeah. you're right, people are probably not going to read the entire uh, the entire news article. They're going to read the headline, just like Henrik said, and they're going to see the memes. And maybe they'll scroll through and look for any segments that have been pulled out and given like big quotes in like its own little box or something. <clears throat> but that's essentially all they're going to look for because we have not taught, at least in this country, we have not taught people how to be a good analyzer of news and how to be a good reader of news. We've just taught them just look for the highlights. And I think that's mostly due to things like standardized testing, which doesn't teach you to like really dig deep and try to find something. It's like, you no, know, here's just how to pass the test, how to just read for the, the main point so that you can answer the question. Yeah, I know. It worries me a great deal now in these extremely dull times, politics-wise, as we discussed. When we're talking about NATO, well, let's drop the NATO bomb, <laughs> where I think there should still be more nuance in, in the discussion. Like, if you say anything, pretty much anything, honestly, anything negative about NATO, anything that is not pro-NATO or... You're just trying to analyze what could be the pros and cons. And if you mention any of the cons, then you are on the, you're siding with Putin. Yeah. yeah. Sadly, the internet is not a place for nuance and discussion. It's for quick jabs and oversimplification and drawing lines in the sand. And it's actually one of the reasons that I'm drawn to podcasts more because it's not going to be what is it in three seconds it's what is it in 30 minutes what is it in 45 or an hour and i think you can get you can get more of an in-depth conversation where you can hear both sides and you can try to have a more in-depth understanding of whatever the issue is yeah so it's something that our prime minister also said that kind of struck me and uh, it can be seen as a uh, naive comment but i can also understand how it could not be but when she says that we are joining nato because we never want finland to be in war again all right but how realistic is that really let's let's just if, if you know what has happened in the history of nato just rudimentary information it's not always being completely defensive and the decisions to go to war have not always been sound, to say the least. Uh, then, again, in my opinion, if, if you are talking about the Finnish reaction, the modern reaction that started, like, well, I would say two months ago, when the NATO discussion really peaked in Finland once again. Uh, in my opinion, what you also see in, in well, today's tone of, of the debate, and like you being being painted out as a, as a Putin supporter, if you say anything about NATO, in my opinion, it's not just like one-sided news information that that people get, especially in Finland. Like it's important to note that that the exp example that you gave was the Finnish prime minister, and most likely the discussion you are, you described was the Finnish discussion about the NATO question. Yeah, less than 24 hours ago. Was it this morning? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, well, like, like, for our listeners, that's important to understand. Because in the Finnish reaction, the modern, the current reaction to NATO, 
in my opinion, what we are also seeing is like a, like a societal angst and a societal fear that stems from a belated opening our eyes when it comes to Russia. Because it wasn't that long ago when Finland still was very much against NATO and the majority opinion was against NATO. Yeah. I, I, I myself, I have been pro-NATO for close to 10 years at this point. Mm-hmm. And I remember that for the large part of the, that 10 years, I kind of had to like be a quiet NATO supporter because Finland really was not pro-NATO. For ever, ever since the discussion has started, especially from, you know, 90s onwards, the, the Finnish state was very much like, like, no to NATO. And, like, in my opinion, and, and this, this is going to get heavy, but in those beliefs, in my opinion, what we saw was very much this... It's kind of like overly op- optimistic, lying to ourselves idea that Russia is just gonna fix itself. Mm. Russia gives promises, we want to take them, like, we, we, we wanted to take their word for whatever they were saying. And we just wanted to believe that, that Russia gets internet and Russia is gonna fix itself. <laughs> uh, Russia gets nuclear power, Russia is gonna fix itself. Russia gets... Ecological toilet paper, Russia is going to fix itself. And Russia gets internet and wants to build its own internet. Well, we never wanted to believe that. <laughs> it actually became a complete shock to, to Finland and to Europe. It shouldn't have been, because the signs were there always. But we just didn't want to believe that. And it might be like, like in the newest NATO stance, we kind of see now, like at this point, our eyes have been forced open. And and now we are really scared. We are really afraid of Russia. And mm. I, I kind of see this belated reaction. We we wanted to keep our eyes closed for such of a long time that now that we no long, longer can do it, now we are like really aggressive about NATO. And now we are 100% pro-NATO. Yes, NATO. NATO today, please. Yeah, I'm not worried that we would be pulled into the military operations that we would not want to be a part of because at the end of the day it's uh, supposed to be still voluntary on at least largely voluntary whatever kind of operations might be happening in the future i am still a little bit concerned about us being associated with uh, the previous adventures of nato ventures such as it it hasn't been a a complete success story in Libya. It hasn't been a success story completely with even Serbia, let's just say that. And it hasn't been a home run in Afghanistan, in Iraq. So we will be part of that story in the future. Yeah, and Finland basically wants to be the poster child of every institution that it's part of, be it EU, be it NATO, be it any kind of a Nordic coalition, we always want to make certain that we keep our promises and we do our part. So most likely if NATO goes to war, even though it's it's not mandatory, Finland will take part in some capacity, not necessarily sending the troops, but like we will do something that we showcase that we are also carrying our load. And we are now supporting the commitments that we made to NATO when we joined it. Yeah, and 
if anything comes out of it that is positive joining NATO, I would have to say it's probably the, the thing that we are now able to, after that support, we are now able to and willing to say exactly how it is more open and not play this Finlandization part two, which I think it's still still going on. Like we, we are go- trying to be too careful with Russia, but now no more. It's it's still going on, and I do believe that it's gonna continue going on even after we join. Not necessarily on that capacity, like most likely we will see more harsher uh, statements considering Russia after joining NATO, because of course some securities and some backbone will be gained with that decision to join. But then again, also the effects and the history of Finlandization, it's, it runs so deep in, in Finland and in Finnish culture that I don't see like 100, a complete 180 turn in how we behave, even, even after our, our joining to NATO. And the funny thing is that at least I haven't fully even realized this, that that we uh, haven't been able to say all the things that we we want to say. But now after Ukraine, it seems that that uh, you can say what, what what you want, or at least more openly already. We're just saying how it is, and it kind of feels good. Feels good. Yeah, there there is some some freedoms that can be gained for for Finland as a as a country and for us Finns individually. Stemming from the invasion of U- Ukraine, and if the, the NATO application goes through, most likely it does. I strongly believe that it goes. Uh, also, like after after uh, we have joined, there there are like more liberties to be gained, of course. But especially when it comes to the way how you talk about Russia, how you talk about. The current politics and and the history that Finland shares with Russia. But once again, it's going to, in my opinion, it's going to happen in limitations. They are still going to. It, it's not that we are going to to like go away with the box. Don't say bad negative things. The box is still gonna be there. The box might get a bit wider and more relaxed, but the box is still gonna be there. As long as we remain kind of matter of fact and without any even the tiniest bit of aggravating language or, or tone, which I'm sure we will continue at least as long as Saulinin is the, is the president. And I, I have to say, I have a hundred percent appreciation towards this guy, even though our politics may not meet, but as a president, he has truly been doing a terrific job. And that also showed in the last discussion that he he seemed to have have with Putin at least everything that we have heard about it he is really a master of just telling telling it how it is and like any good uh, politician would would be doing of course should be doing and at this point our political commentator Zach can actually finally have his word (laughs) we are all communists and we are all wrong Uh, my word would be that you're gonna love experiencing freedom once you join NATO. (laughs) (laughs) Come on in, boys. The water is fine. (laughs) 
No, I'm, I, I'm just I... waiting when Finland gets open carry rights. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> well, even... You guys, I, you guys have to go through a lot of... If you want to have a gun, you have to go through a lot of things, right? Like, they, you can't just go to the store and buy it, right? Yeah, no, 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 no. You no, just have to cross the border. You just have to cross the border and go to Malamu. Problem solved. Go to where? <laughs> it's one of those problem cities, or at least... I, I guess the situation has improved a little bit, but Malmö, Stockholm, some other cities have some serious serious issues with these kind of almost no-go zones. Gotcha. But generally speaking, if you wanted to buy a gun in Finland... <laughs> yeah, you're you're going to have... You, you need a permit. Um, the difficulty of getting the permit depends on what type of gun you want to have. If it's a rifle, so- shotgun, a hunting weapon, permits are relatively easy to get you basically you have to be a part of of a hunting group official part of a hunting group have to be somehow show that you are like you do hunt and you are serious about hunting and then there is also a psychological test or you have to go through a psychological evalu- evaluation where they ask or if we give you a shotgun are you gonna you know pull off a school shooting you say no and you get the permit. <laughs> if it comes to, to pistols, revolvers, more sidearms, you have to be a part of, of some type of shooting range. You have to showcase through your own activity that you are interested in, in hobbyist, small arm practice, shoot, practice shooting. It's, it's more trickier than the hunting weapons. What about a military-style automatic weapon? Yeah, those, those are no-go. Uh, you can <laughs> buy those reactivated, and then you can try to reactivate them. Like take mm. back the deactivation process, which is something that that some people have tried to pull off with varying results. But on on face value, no, you can't buy a working military grade weapon in Finland. This is not completely accurate, though, Henrik. Uh, not every- completely. Uh, actually, everybody in Finland can have a free access to, to firearms of varying sizes and shapes. You just have to go to the army. Yep. <laughs> well, here, here in America, we think that everybody should get a military rifle, whether they want one or not. When you were born, they give you one. Is that your own accent? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually not too far from the accent I used to have. Uh, do would you mind if we would hear it? <laughs> the, the accent I used to have growing up yeah. um, was more of your sort of classic Southern accent, mm. uh, Southern American accent. Um, oh gosh, mm. on the spot. Um, you know, I'd I'm, I mean I'd call up my mom and dad and I'd tell them that. You listen at school today. We didn't really do nothing because we, you know, teacher was out sick, and so we just watched movies and stuff. We didn't really do much of anything else. We just started lollygag with each other. All right, <laughs> it doesn't sound so heavy, really. No, it's, kind of uh, middle of the road. Yeah, <laughs> it's um, if I, whenever I talk to my dad on the phone, it sort of comes back easier because my dad has a very a very thick southern accent, but I've uh gotten rid of mine for the last probably 15 20 years um and now that i live away from the south i, I just don't hear it as much every day yeah now i hear a good boston accent so i sound like 
Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and that's how you, not all you, the time. You, and that's how you get New York Times readers. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, I guess it's also been a road to get rid of rid of my accent. I could talk like this for the whole episode, but that could be a little awkward. It's funny when I go back and I listen to like old episodes of the Flick Lab, which is only three. <laughs> Why years would old. you do that, you absolute <laughs> madman? <laughs> you know when I'm feeling like I want to self-flagellate myself. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, I, you, your accent has changed so much. Mm. It's changed a lot in just in, in in three years in a very short time. I guess it also has to do a lot about with the uh, you get more relaxed the more you use it, and then you yeah yeah you gravitate towards trying something more bravely. <laughs> when I think it, it takes a lot of assertiveness, I think as well because yeah. I think some people can continue to speak and say you know what I'm communicating, and so that's it's that's good enough for me. It's it's accomplishing the goals that I have, and. But it, but it takes a level of assertiveness to say, but I, I want to go for, you know, perfection. I want that perfect accent when it's not really needed. As, you know, we were saying before, communication is still taking place. You don't have to have a perfect accent, but um, unless that's just something you personally want. Right. Yeah. I, yeah, that's great to hear that I've improved. And I, I would say that Henry Cast improved as well. Yeah. We're all on a journey. Yeah. We're all on a journey. I'm sure if the two of you spoke French, you'd hear me speak French and you'd be doing the same thing to me. <laughs> yeah, there's things about the 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 accent to, to make it sound even more nat- natural. There's something that in most of the worst languages, apparently, we speak more from the throat, whereas you speak more from the chest. So... I'm I'm speaking oh, I'm speaking too much from the throat even right now maybe it's just too natural for me but I could really try to concentrate and let's see kind of try to lower it like this so it m- might be more natural interesting you're, that's you're getting to like such a fine level of like analysis of it that I just I don't do on a regular basis right yeah now I'm going to go around listening to people talk and see if they're talking from their chest or from their throat. <laughs> Henrik, I, I, it's been a journey. It's almost four years doing this goddamn thing. Yeah, it's kind of crazy when you think about it. Yeah, and uh, our friend Zach joined us around 130 episodes mark somewhere there. Let me see, what was it again? Oh, goodness. 131. Is Dirty Harry fascist? Y- yes. Yes, that I'm was glad most... we were able to answer that question. Yes, he is. Yeah. Yep. In most rags that you read, if they have a question in the, in the title in the headline, is something something, then usually the answer is no. In this case, it's yes. But then we continued on with the uh, the Ringo, the Ring films, talk about Planet Mars related movies. Finally got into No Time to Die. We did the new Halloween with Alison Kilkenny. Did some obscure stuff with plan sequence and cannibalism. Oh, young. God. 
<laughs> you know, Kari, it's so funny that you say that because Henrik, I uh, thought of you the other day because <laughs> the images are conjuring in my head. <laughs> I was talking to my husband. We were talking about what movie were we watching? We were watching an oh, older shit. film. We were watching an older film and oh, we were watching like a like a making of documentary of The Shining uh, by by Stanley Kubrick. And there were if you know anything about the making of The Shining, it was a very difficult uh, set. Kubrick was sort of, he was a very tough director, and he really pushed his actors, including poor Shelley Long, to put it mildly. Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Yeah. And uh, we were watching some of those behind-the-scenes things of that, and my husband asked me, like, wow, like, he, it's, it, does this kind of stuff still happen? Is this, like, still a thing? And I said, I think it probably probably still happens maybe some but i don't think it happens nearly as much as it does because i think we have a lot more control now and i think that actors are more willing to stand up for themselves and say you know like hold on like i need a break or stop being an asshole or whatever it may be and i said but I, that was a thing especially in the 70s where directors really would push their actors because in the director's mind they want a real performance they want to get the best performance out of you as possible and if that means pushing you to your limit then the director is going to do it um and they the line of sort of what was ethical and what was not was much further out there and i said you know um and he said well you know if it's going to get you the best performance you know how how far is too far and i said i think that's a great conversation of how far is too far for example you might have some who say for a realistic performance we really need to kill this animal on film and some would say that that would be worth it <clears throat> and then some would say well you know what um you know this this actress in this scene she's supposed to be getting sexually assaulted so you know what for this scene we're actually going to have the guy who's assaulting her literally take his penis out and put it on her because it's going to give a really great performance and yeah, then i then it's realized like to me like the, both of those things cross the line we don't actually have to kill that animal nor do we have to actually sexually assault this actress on film to get a good performance yeah most likely and but henrik has had and none of that uh, connects with me in any way <laughs> <laughs> you know i should have done my research for that episode on the dark web eating about uh, <laughs> uh, reading about how to piece a human carcass. <laughs> how, to, how, how to what? How, how to put into pieces a human carcass. Because that's one of the oh, articles. Like, to dismember that, one? Yeah, I, uh, well... <laughs> you you, you start with, the, with, with joints <clears throat> and, and a soft tissue. <laughs> Duh! I, I believe that's correct. Yeah. I actually read part of such article that was circulating. On the dark web, happened to have like a screenshot of that thing and thought like, oh yeah, that's what dark web is for. Great. And that's all he ever did. Interpol, if you're listening, that's all he did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 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 hearing some some muffled sounds coming from from Curry's closet at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, to make a donkey's bridge. And then we moved on to 
well, still killing people, but the unknown soldier. Which might which, is definitely in my top for favorite films that we talked about. Oh, was which, such an interesting since yeah. since we mentioned animal killings for, for the sake of the film and, and Stanley Kubrick, is also something that like had two of the filmatizations of, of the unknown had directors that were also big on that on the train of, of pushing their actors physically to get the performances. Uh, that's true, yeah. There could be an interesting discussion to be had some date about, you know, our relationship with, with well, A, a uh, these days problematic directors, as in directors who really have done some some questionable shit, either on set or off, or off the set. We're looking at you, Stanley Kubrick, and, and like Roman Polanski. And with with the whole mindset of directors that like in order to get performance A, we have to to physically push the actors in real life, and then perhaps uh, contrast that with with the idea about how we feel about uh, animal killings on film, and how we feel about animal killings on different types of film. To, to harken back to the, the discussion that we briefly had with the cannibal episode, is killing the tortoise, uh, tortoise in, in cannibal holocaust, is it somehow more horrible, more wrong than Francis Ford Coppola killing the ox in, in Apocalypse Now? Is, it, is, is one more right or more, more like acceptable? Because the film is like one of its kind masterpiece. Yeah, just don't kill shit for the sake of art. I'm gonna stick by that. Same. Henrik was there saying the word tortoise. That was always a tricky word for me. Do I say it correctly? Tortoise. Yeah, tortoise. Tor- tortoise. <laughs> if only I could trill my R's like that. <laughs> Is that coming from French? That's a great question. I'm looking up the etymology of tortoise. Oh, no, it comes from Spanish. Tortuga. Oh, well, and French, because French also has tortu. Ah, of course, tortu. But originally from Latin. Tortuga, originally in Latin. Love it that we can have this kind of episode where I can ask all the stupid questions I can't ask during a Christmas movies from hell episode. Oh, God, not that, no. <laughs> Christmas movies from hell. It 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 was a it was almost a twenty four. It it was almost a twenty four feature. Criterion collection. Yeah, it was almost a twenty four feature. Just like I'm almost an Abercrombie and Fitch model. <laughs> it's as close to Criterion as I am to being six two and one hundred and fifty pounds. <laughs> Oh, come on. Criterion Collection has two movies from Michael Bay. It can also house funny the killer thing. <laughs> I, I, I just lost a little respect for the Criterion Collection if they really do have Michael Bay. <laughs> it is not worthy. The Killer Bunny is not worthy. Uh, yes. The Killer is. Bunny is good film. Like, I have a, a 22 centimeter dick. God, God damn, man, you, you defended the, the lamb as a child carrying film as, as something you don't see every day. I would also make the case you don't see, see a serial rapist mutant bunny film every day. 
That is true. That is it, a true it, statement. It's to the force filmmaking, and it's <laughs> it's like it, it's showing you something that's it's at the same time it's real and it's not real. It's something unique, and therefore it's art. <laughs> also, once again, Zach, once again, for you personally, it's international cinema, so it has to be good. Mm. That is true. It has that that air of mystery of the the exotic and the foreign and the yeah. unknown and big dicks. Yeah. It, it has the Nordic shamanism in it. Mm. Mm-hmm. From from the handpick selection of those few international films that you can get your hands on. <laughs> Curated cinema. It it it's it's still that the DVD is still the jewel of my collection. <laughs> I, I put it there with, with, with Apocalypse Now and The Godfather yeah. and anything that Scorsese has done. Oh boy, but... Um... Wow. I, I, I have like, like at the top of my shelf, like, like in, in, the, in, the, in the number one slot, I have like Schindler's List and Bunny the Killer thing. They, they kinda, the two movies kind of complement each other. Speaking of Schindler's List, there's... Oh, God. <laughs> this could be going anywhere. <laughs> I, I, I've seen really cheap Italian porno. Well, not knockoff, but a film that deals with a similar topic. Starring George Lazenby. <laughs> but uh, one other weird question. We... Often our tongues do the weird thing where we might say set or sit, but instead we say shit, shit. Does this happen to you Americans ever, or are you just perfect with the S and sh? Oh, that's interesting. I don't think, I don't think that's a thing that we do. Maybe it's because we have so many S and so many SH words that we're used to like going back and forth between the two of them. Right. But I could see, because do you have more SHs in Finnish? We don't really have any SH sound in Finnish, do we? No. They're all foreign words if we use that. No, uh. we usually, like, like what, what we have most of, we, we have harsh, con, uh, harsh consonants, like, especially words with R. Hmm. I wonder that's, if then that, it's that's because... That's the speciality of Finnish. Well, then I wonder if it's because you're both, you're, you're both such prominent users of English that maybe it's it's... Uh, an intrusion it's an english intrusion screwing you up can you expound on that um an intrusion in the interpretation world an intrusion is when one language begins to influence the other so for example mm. if uh if you were uh it, let's let's say in in so in, in english we always say salt and pepper we never say pepper and salt Mm. But let's say in Finnish, you always say pepper and pepper and salt, and you never say salt and pepper. But then you, as a Finnish speaker, when you then are speaking in English, if you said in English pepper and salt, that would be an intrusion of Finnish mm. into your English. Yeah, I think it's some kind of a flaw in the brain. It's a, you just you have to yeah you forget to use the the the, the right s sound. Weird. It could be that you're drunk. <laughs> it's just energy <laughs> drink, my friend. <laughs> but yesterday well, was... It, yeah. it is the, the 150th celebration episode. So, of course, I'm drunk. Are you? <laughs> yeah, I'm, are you? I'm drinking beer and, and Estonian moonshine. 
Believe it or not. And especially the Estonian shit tastes absolutely horrible. Hey, I always remember with uh, fondness the times when we were drinking in this episode theme drinks. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there was also the recording of, of the 100th episode, which got pretty, pretty moist in the, in the studio <laughs> department. Did it? Oh, moist. Well, we, 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 we had like, like champagne and, and some cheap vodka. I, I don't remember what shit I was drinking. But moist. Yeah, Zach, does that make you think that we had sex or we had drinks? <laughs> <laughs> so moist is a very interesting word in English. You have a significant portion of the population who does not like the word and will ask people to not say it. <laughs> It's a very strange thing in English. People really don't like the word moist. I'm okay with the word moist. I don't mind it. Um, but when you said moist, the first thing I thought was, I, I thought pre-cum. I, 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 I know, I know, because the, the source where I actually picked my usage of, of the word moist is actually weirdly sexual internet memes. <laughs> I approve. <laughs> But I, I did think of precom, uh, just to be completely honest. Well, there were. A... <laughs> there were two Finnish guys in the recording booth at the same time during that episode. No, no, but there were attempts to have precom at some stage in the first Exorcist film with the quotes, fuck me. How is that for a, a bridge, donkey bridge? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, that scene. Oh, my God, it's so horrifying. What movie so is horrifying. this? The Exorcist. Fuck me. Fuck oh, me. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let Jesus fuck me. Oh, my God. That, like, scarred me as a child. That, that was. When I was a good little Christian boy and hearing a little, and then hearing this little girl use a crucifix on her vagina and yelling let jesus fuck me yeah that screwed me up as a child but that's that's like letting the lord inside of you man hey listen catholics believe that when they take communion they're literally eating the body and drinking the blood of jesus so you know whatever it's I all know. on the table i know but guys i wanted to actually ask you what were the the films that affected you the most when you when you were kids what are some of the the highlights the films that fucked you up or you know you just couldn't get past that movie that was so incredible experience well the exorcist truly was one of them i i my parents knew that i really liked movies they could tell that i was like a a blossoming cinephile and they showed me a lot of films that i think that they thought, oh, this is a great movie. He's going to love it. Not thinking that he's 11 and maybe The Exorcist is a little too much for an 11-year-old. Um, my, my mom did the exact same thing. I was just about to say mm. that. What's wrong with your parents? Nothing. You know. They're fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, honest to uh, God. Honest to God. Uh, when I was something like, like six... Ten at most. My mom, uh, mom actually used as a as as a threat that unle- unless I clean my room and it's it's like tip top tidy, uh, I can't join her and watch RoboCop from the TV. <laughs> it was a legitimate wow. threat from my mom. 
You, you, don't, you, don't, you don't get to see horrible X-rated violence unless you clean your room. <laughs> so there are a handful of pieces of media that my husband, who was not born in this country and did not learn English until he was 10 years old, uh, there's a handful of pieces of media that he credits to him learning English, and one of them is RoboCop. <laughs> it's funny, like, remembering still some of the words that you still remember where you learned those words. Are there any mm. similar things for you for you guys? I don't know about French for you, Zach, or some other language, but for me, I remember where I learned the word facility. Can you guess that? Probably not. Well, from the... Nintendo 64 game GoldenEye. The second level was facility. Oh, that that GoldenEye game. That that's that's some good shit. Yeah, yeah, amazing game. Too bad I lost it somewhere. On the N64. Yeah, but of course I have an emulator. I could kind of get get playing again. And the Perfect Dark. Did you play that uh, one? I did not. No. The okay, Perfect Dark was kind of a, in in spirit a sequel to GoldenEye, but they were not able to use the bond license anymore i think it went to ea at that point Mm. electronic arts and uh, so they kind of made their own version of what an agent game could be and there was this lady hero agent dark and uh, it was kind of ahead of its time at least well okay 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 henrik yeah 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 yeah. it was ahead of its time for n64 or console gaming uh it used the expansion pack to use a little bit more more ram for showing uh, the levels and uh, beautiful lighting effects. It's a fantastic game. Just improved on many things that you had in GoldenEye. I, I do remember where I was when I learned certain words, um, even even English words. Like I remember I, I learned the word ostentatious from, don't judge me, from Twilight. <laughs> yeah. Yes, the sparkly vampires taught me the word ostentatious. But I have to ha- uh, say that if you're trying to learn words, there's nothing that will beat books in that department, unless it's a very artsy fartsy film. But mm. Oh, you know, this yeah, it was yeah. it was the book. Ah, all right. All yeah, right. I was I was reading the Twilight novels. Oh yeah. yeah. Is it is it artsy fartsy or artsy dartsy or or uh, both? No, are artsy okay. fartsy. Fartsy. No, just artsy fartsy. <laughs> no darts. <clears throat> but then I also took uh, some. Um, a unit in Latin when I was in high school and not a whole class, but just, we had a a segment of class where we did some Latin. And honestly, that taught has helped me learn more words than probably anything else I've ever done. Because once you understand like, you know, root words, then when you're reading something and you see it, you can go, well, that, well, it's based on the root word for this, which means this. So therefore this word must mean this. Uh, that I have found to be incredibly helpful. That's amazing. That's amazing. I always thought that it would be really useful to learn Latin and then after that to start to learn Spanish, Italiano and mm. all that. But yeah, who's going to take time to fully learn Latin before that, before you actually have a useful language or any, you know, some language that people actually use these days. Mm. People use Finnish. Finnish? Yeah, people use it. No, people don't use Finnish. <laughs> Even even this podcast doesn't finish that much. <laughs> but yeah, there's other words like simple words where you can obviously guess where I learned them: start, exit, options, <laughs> uh, oh, menu. video games mm-hmm. or DVDs, DVD menus. 
Yeah. Volume, sound, graphics. All the important ones. Of course. And I think, you know, when when I started to learn English, really starting to kind of blossom in understanding English, that the first words that you learn are so... The vocabulary that you have is so limited to what you learn from from movies and video games. So you have a certain kind of vocabulary and sometimes you're a little bit embarrassed by that vocabulary. Yeah, well, how do words like so this is interesting to me because when I when earlier when I when I when we were talking about moist and I said it made me think of precom, I had a moment of like god precom that is a niche <laughs> word. <laughs> and if I were like if I like I've been learning French and I don't know what the, the French word for precom is and I don't know if I'm ever going to learn what it is that seems so niche and the two of you know it which I love. But where the hell did you learn that word? Minority report. Yeah? Minority report. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tom Cruise works for precom. <laughs> <laughs> I, I may have heard, I may have heard some lines that bit wrong when I first saw it, but... Henrik, you win the award for best joke of the day. <laughs> oh my god, that was good. Well, this film podcast has really had quite a few donkey breaches. Oh yeah. Well, let's build some more. Uh, how can we get to Blender from here? I'm just going to say Blender. We had Blender animated short films. That that's those are the good. Yeah, the most films in a single episode ever. Uh, but those Oof. were those were short. And uh, yeah, we did a little bit of cut and paste, but that was in the end your final appearance in this podcast. It was the last recording, wasn't it, with you? It was, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah, other than our the little sort of uh, farewell bit. Yeah, true. Well, um, so yeah, so we basically lured Zach into the flick lab with political topics, <laughs> like with is Dirty Harry a fascist? <laughs> and then episode by episode, the horrible truth of exactly how unpolitical we were as a as a podcast kind of just opened to Zach, and that's the point where he left us. I've always wanted to 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 kind of enunciate that that we are an apolitical podcast. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> well, if anything sold that, it was this episode. <laughs> <laughs> but then we jumped into Taiwanese new way with Henrik and the YouTube channel Mint Volcano. Good God! And oh boy, <laughs> that is that that ran into some situations. That was a lovely little episode, but I. I... <laughs> well, we we had a small fight during the episode and. Did we? Oh. And I, I, well, uh, I got the feeling that that some opinions were crossed between you and me. As usual. Yeah. Business as usual. A business as usual. But it couldn't have gone entirely wrong because we were invited to do the elephant sitting slash standing still video episode on the Mint Volcano channel. After that, and of course, we had already done the elephant episode before and uh so we had a bit of a background on that still managed to fuck up th that episode or or that video in a sense that i forgot to mention the inspirations of hubo during his career that they, they were 
quite heavily influenced, I hear, from Bela Tar, the uh, Hungarian art director. Yeah, I also kind of look at look back at our visit uh, in in Mint Volcano. Like I also remember like points that I I failed to bring up d- during during my segments in the, in that video. And we have trouble with the short form, and that was also cut quite a bit. I think we went for like 40-45 minutes, but the final product was maybe 25 minutes. And it's just so hard to push yourself to bring all the things that you want to say in that brief little time. <laughs> Especially since, since that discussion was between four people. Well, true, yeah. Yeah. But it was a nice experience. It was re- really, really great to have Mint Volcano guys as our guests in 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 one of the lab episodes and later on to, to reappear. And, and do a solid for, for also Mint Volcano channel, which is pretty wholesome YouTube channel, yeah. I must admit. Yeah, I like it very much. It's a shame that these kind of channels seem to just not necessarily gain the attention that they, they should have. In, there's probably not so many channels that are doing the thing that they're doing, just concentrating on an, uh, kind of an expert level on, on uh, the cinematography and the, the storytelling, the story structure of certain types of films, in this case, Taiwanese and Asian films. And uh, yeah, I hope, I hope they'll grow. There's just too much, too much out there nowadays. But then we went to do the Oscars episodes. Oh my God, that, that exploded. <laughs> Why? Was there something special about the Oscars this year? Absolutely no, nothing. Absolutely nothing. Okay, great. We kind of just didn't have a, like a rock solid plan on how we are going to cover the Oscars. Uh, today's uh, or this year's Oscar coverage, it was kind of culmination of, of many different things. What, of course, when the Oscars came up, uh, we once again, we wanted to tackle international cinema and look at the best foreign category. And just like last year, we, we or especially Kari had, had films that he really wanted to talk about that were nominated in the best foreign. And, well, that was one, one side of it. Then there was the problem of a lot of the movies this year in, in best foreign having... A really haphazard like release schedule. Yeah. How you could see them. A lot of the films were like were in this in the in this limbo where you had no chance of of seeing them except you know just like a week before the the award ceremony itself. They all of a sudden they they get like releases in in the Finnish movie theaters or or in streaming services. So that was kind of a like. A clusterfuck. And also something that I guess went behind the, the Oscar coverage this year was this unspoken and unresolved need to actually try to do like an Oscars episode and talk about Oscars themselves or the films presented in Oscars and, and like, like air out our opinions about how the ceremony was this year, which was also something that we have been talking about the previous years and never done. So now it kind of just all culminated this year. And the the whole us covering the the Oscars, it it kind of just ballooned out of hands. We we originally we just made one episode and then it was two episodes and then it was three episodes and then it was in the end four episodes in total. 
And the most funny thing about <laughs> is that we did the four episodes and the fourth episode, it still hasn't been released as we are recording this one. And when it's going to be released, it's entirely irre <laughs> irrelevant. Yeah. But then again, once again, so is the bloody awards. Oscars <laughs> themselves are extremely irrelevant. Yeah. But what's next, Henrik? Where the hell are we going to steer this ship going forward? What a useless phrase, going forward. Everything is always going forward. But so, Henrik, yeah, what? Have we exhausted ourselves, our skill set, what we want to talk about? Is this it? Are we closing the lab? I honestly don't, don't know. <laughs> I have been... I, I think that, like, as a podcast structure-wise, we are perhaps on a, on a better direction than we were when we originally started, something like three years ago, four years ago, with the Flick Lab, where it was one, one movie per episode, uh, weekly releases. I, I do think that our pace now and our style now uh, episode every two weeks and kind of not really like looking at one film and doing scene by scene etc etc but instead of of looking perhaps like a set number of movies trying to find a unifying theme a unifying factor talking about that talking about everything that revolves around that one factor. I, I do think that that's a better direction for us, and I do think that our episodes are stronger because of that. Mm. But if you would ask, like, what would be the thing that we do next, I actually can't answer that. I don't have, like, like a direct idea. Like, what frontier try to tackle from episode 151 onwards. I would say I like what we're doing now. And if we are willing to continue, we have the willpower, then just keep it as it is right now. Yeah. Willpower, of course. And at the continuation of the podcast, like like, like it's with every, every podcast out there, it's always a kind of a running question, I would say. It's... Always, like once again, listeners, take note. We are doing this like for free. We are not getting any profit out out of our podcast venture. If if something car is just constantly losing money because of the podcast, yep. so of course our capacity to to keep on doing the flick lab and and going forward with the podcast, it's it's not easily answer it's it's not something something that you can easily have an answer to we are doing this on our free time on top of all all our other commitments every single project that we have to do outside of the podcast because of course we have to we have to work we have to study etc and the flick lab itself it's it really is not like a, like an easy going just shooting from the hip type of podcast the amount of background work that we have to to go through for every single episode is absolutely crazy. That's one of the reasons why why I'm really happy that we are now bi-weekly and not weekly podcast. Because, oh boy. Yeah, yeah this is a healthier pace for sure. I'm, I'm okay with this. Yeah, but yeah, so 
it it's always a question exactly how long how long can we shoulder the the, the but basically the whole amount of work that goes into making flick lab and how long do we feel that we have the energy to, to push this podcast forward and keep working on it and when is the time when we have kind of run out of steam and the podcast itself have, has also run out run out of its course and it's just better to close the close the shop i don't think that that time necessarily is yet i think there still is perhaps some venues where to go with with the flick lab but of course that's like Every single episode we release, we have to re-ask that question from ourselves. Are we still enjoying enjoying this? Is there still a purpose on on doing the lab? Do we have the capacity to continue doing doing these episodes? And it's a question that has kind of risen up every single time that we have also reached a sort of a celebration episode because those are kind of, kind of the, the the timeline highlights. You have done 50 episodes, you have done one year of this podcast, you have done two years, you have done 100 episodes. All, all of those are highlights in in the timeline of the Flick Lab. So, of course, every single time the same question, do we still continue with the podcast? It always gets ra- kind of a brought up again and again and again. And who knows where the, where the future is? I, I still believe... I I feel I I still have the energy, even with all the shit that I I have to deal with, you know, productions studies wise to to do the lab. At least you know for now. I'm not gonna lie. I I have had a lot of thoughts about the role of, of the flick lab and what do I personally want to do outside of the flick lab, like uh, artistically wise. I have a lot of ideas rudimentary ideas about what I could do and what kind of different projects would gather, gain more audience more easily and might be more attractive for some of the masses out there, more targeted uh, material or niche audiences. So it's always there just kind of bothering me that I I have this project. Will I be able to give my 100%, 120% for the flick lab and keep all those other projects running or can i even start them because yeah there's a limited amount of time in your day well to say something positive <laughs> we have now crossed 1000 uh, subscribers on on youtube woohoo woo but still we don't have enough views so we have to wait for that before we can start to even think about monetizing that so somehow even though YouTube has been maybe the most beneficial for us, like viewing, listening wise, it's nowhere near where I would love like it to be. Absolutely not at all. Yeah, and I, I guess that kind of lands us with with one point and one question. The point being that I I strongly believe that with a podcast like the Flick Lab, there really is no future trying to trend chase or trying to optimize the the listener attractiveness 
uh, how we are going to to find new listeners, how we are going to to find get get views, get subscribers, etc., etc. I kind of I've said this before, and I I say it again. I do kind of feel that the Flick Lab is is kind of like Mint Volcano. It's kind of the wrong type of product to ever actually gain mass appeal or any type of a, like like noticeable peak in our appeal. We we are always gonna be a niche a niche product and. When, when it comes to sub- subscribers, when it comes to listeners, when it comes to viewers, it's always going to kind of always resonate with with that us being a niche niche podcast. We are our, our like listener uh, growth in our listener base. It's always going to be slow. It's always gonna be like you barely notice it, Un- unfortunately. And that k- kind of with once again with a donkey's bridge leads into the question of. What actually is it that we want to achieve with the podcast? Like on a personal mm. level, is it is it some type of a confirmation? Is it fame? Is it money? I don't think so. I, yeah, uh, I don't think about money. I just think about there could be more audience, money or not, fame or not, and just kind of seems that we are going in circles regarding that. But the the the, the guys that are listening to us right now, maybe. <laughs> If you are, maybe you can tell us what you would prefer if I would say that I've been toying with ideas about the, the future of the podcast. If we, if we could, if we should indeed go to our shorter form instead of the long form that we so love and just, you know, reading the paper type of episodes, you could do those, a couple of those per month. I could do a couple of those per month and voila, we have four episodes per month kind of a weekly format and maybe more digestible the only problem in the and the pain in the ass of course is that somebody has to do the video editing for that unless it's going to be just us filming our faces in one take and that would be awesome yeah and to be honest i don't really see and you know i I can be wrong with my assessment and if i am you know no no biggie i'm i'm happy to be be wrong with with my assessment, because usually my assessments are pretty negative. It's nice to do when I'm proved wrong and the positive comes true. I don't, but I don't see that much future for us in, in like news of the day. I, I don't see that our biggest problem is that we release too many, uh, too few episodes per month. No, no, no. So, you know, trying to, to chase really schedule a schedule of of four episodes like like a f- weekly release uh i i don't believe that's going to to fix anything i don't believe that more of the the, the news of the day style content would also fix anything i don't really even believe that the the video like, like doing video is is in our cards. It could so be on say. my cards. I don't believe in... in. I'm using crappy laptop camera st- uh, pointing directly at my face. No editing type of video content. I do believe that in, uh, in, in the comments that we should do video, what there really is, is being said is we should do video and we should have like more video like... Uh, 
like aesthetic. We we should have like in my opinion, in those those comments that we occasionally get that we should do video. That what shines through to me is that we should have in in lack of a better term production value. We should have green screens. We should have uh, varying camera angles. We should have the basic video editing, like quick zooms, jump cuts from far to, to close, etc., etc., etc. Basically, the, the same type of video editing that you have in, in most YouTube video channels. When it comes to jump cuts, I have to jump in and say that I think those are largely unnecessary if you're able to to deliver your message in a cohesive way and with enough pace and I, I think it can also be a very distraction distracting experience for some viewers this kind of ADHD cutting everywhere where there is some loose there it doesn't even give you time to breathe and really think about some of the parts that the, the person is saying and when it comes to the production values I've seen plenty of videos there that have like half a million views and they are shot with amateur web cameras and from horrible angles and even shit audio. I think it's more about the actual content. While there is truth to the fact that there is, it's important to have production values, the most important value that seems to come again and again is the audio. If you have the audio nailed down, then the video can be garbage. Yeah, then again, the audio here has been more or less like more or less ironed out. Yeah. Like at, at, at least recording quality-wise for, for quite some time. There is, of course, the Finnish accent, <laughs> which is something that comes through and will continue coming through. There's me absolutely butchering the English language and its vocabulary on regular, a regular basis, which is also something that, you know, there is no quick fixes coming for that. In any anytime soon. Oh, what you gonna do today? Uh, eat some lunch, and then we are gonna get on our scooters and go for a ride. Ooh. Since it's so beautiful today, it's only partly cloudy. I think the high today is like twenty three. Mm. Twenty six here today. It was really beautiful. Mm. I'm starting to love Malaga right now, and now I have to leave. Mm. But that basically is is the I would say the curse of of every every tramp every traveler you always find some place you at at first you don't feel at home then you kind of grow attached to it and then you you kind of always know that you eventually you have to leave yeah some part of me will probably miss this place at one point and then come back. I will probably have that feeling when I go to Warsaw now. I have some unfinished business there, so I will travel there also before I come to Finland. So it'll be interesting. Back to memory lane. All those places. Let's sum it up. Life doesn't really make sense. And uh, yeah, it's just constantly evolving and changing. And so is this podcast. What did you think of this meandering conversation? Leave us a comment on our <laughs> Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, <laughs> Instagram. <laughs> but honestly, gentlemen, Anjutalut uh, for 150. I hope that was better. Um, 150 episodes. That's a huge accomplishment. I am thrilled, chilled, and proud to just be a little piece of the puzzle. 
and whatever comes of the future of the Flick Lab, I know it'll be great because you two are part of it. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Zach. It was really nice to have you here here with us to to the day for yeah. for this episode. It was really fun to have you with with your, the extent of your stay in in the podcast altogether. Yeah, and... it's a time that we will cherish and remember with yeah. warmth. Oh, it's same. And, even uh, even 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 if we refuse to to mention your name. <laughs> it's okay and uh at some point we will have uh one or both of you on uh with a gay twist that's www.withagaytwist.com um, to, <laughs> to talk about the sort of finished perspective of joining nato because that's uh highly uh highly uh political and that's what we do over on the on, on our side of the things do you have a trailer that we can insert here? I, I think you do. Have some. Uh, yeah, we've got some promos. I'll I'll send you one. All right. All right. Well, whatever is uh, ahead of us, we will do it in a fortnight. Thank you for joining us. Oh, until then. Later. God damn it! You don't get to say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> out, out, out of this, out, out of closing of this episode. <laughs> Do you love news and politics? So much, but you know what the problem is? What's that? It's also heteronormative. Ugh, well I have got the perfect podcast for you. Ooh, spill the tea, honey. It's news and politics, but with a gay twist. In fact, that's what it's called, With a Gay Twist. It's a political podcast hosted by two homosexuals with graduate degrees in law and public policy. That sounds fabulous. They discuss everything from Congress to drag race. It's très gay. Head on over to www.withagaytwist.com to learn more. On it. Oops, wrong place. <laughs>